Our reading this morning is called The Prophecy of the Disabled Body. It's an excerpt from the theological statement at the beginning of a report that the UU Ministers Association put out um, from the Ableism Task Force in 2018. They write this. Our bodies inherently have value. Our bodies are where we live and they're the container for all of our experiences, including our religious and spiritual experiences. If we tolerate or perpetuate the devaluing of other people's bodies, we're also willing to devalue their spiritual experiences. Ableism is a centering of able bodies and experiences over disabled bodies and experiences, while simultaneously devaluing and erasing those disabled bodies. If in the words of Eli Clare, ableism is the grease that makes the machine of all other oppressions move forward, then the devaluing of disabled bodies is connected to all of the other bodies that don't have to matter. If we believe that all people have inherent worth and dignity, then we believe all bodies have inherent worth and dignity. If we believe that all bodies have inherent worth and dignity, we also believe that every person has agency over their body, that people are more than the work that they do, that caring for one another is a moral responsibility. Even bodies that do not conform to a capitalist standard of working for pay. All bodies are worthy of our care and concern because they are human people with human bodies. If we believe that one of the sources of our living tradition is direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life, then we must notice that to which we are moved. If disabled bodies are part of life, then they are good. Part of the urging of transcendence, then, is to resist all forms of devaluing of disabled bodies, including unexamined unexamined rhetoric that devalues disabled bodies and places high value on normatively able bodies by using disabled bodies as a point of reference for negative metaphor. We already know that words shape our reality. We know that it's a metaphor and there's more. It's also not a metaphor. We frame much of our engagement around things that do not include everyone. We don't just put our stories onto other people's bodies, we also put our metaphors onto them. One directional in which the able-bodied metaphor is superior and it's not true. Every body is the location of holiness, not just able bodies. When we sing songs that say that the able-bodied way is the only way, we're missing an entire possibility. More is possible. Instead of focusing on the loss of a metaphor, we can consider what else is possible. As Unitarian Universalists, we assert that revelation is not sealed. There is a specific, ongoing revelation that is the disabled body as a text and post-textually as an experience. The disabled body, then, is a prophetic body. It calls beloved community to account for, for a past in which the good news has only been for those with the right abilities, the acceptable bodies. And still, the disabled body cannot be hidden nor silenced, though it may not audibly speak. The disabled body bridges time to a future in which belonging and contribution 
are a natural function of inclusion as a core value and spiritual practice of beloved community. The prophecy of the disabled body is this indictment and this promise. To what does it call us? I don't watch football. As someone who has dealt with the realities of having a traumatic brain injury, there's no fun for me in watching people hit their heads. But on Monday, my social media feed was filled with Super Bowl gifts and commentary alongside reports of Israel's using U.S.-supplied bombs on refugees in Rafah. And it all felt like a dystopian nightmare. Maybe you've been feeling that this week, too. And thank goodness for church in moments like that, because I had a service to plan. Several months ago, our DRE Colleen recommended a documentary to me called Crip Camp. The film is about a camp for disabled teens in the 1970s that was officially called Camp Jeanette and unofficially called Crip Camp by the campers themselves because they were so often referred to as cripples. The movie tells the story of the movement that began at Camp Jeanette and led ultimately to the creation of the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990. Our children's story focused on the Capitol crawl, which was the culmination of decades of work by disabled activists. That moment itself, when members of Disabled in Action got out of their wheelchairs and then crawled up the Capitol steps, represented a kind of profound insistence on being included. The inaccessibility of the Capitol building and the world at large was precisely what they were fighting, insisting that they belonged in public spaces. At the beginning of the movie, one of the camp counselors says that he realized there wasn't anything wrong with the campers. The problem was with the world. And it was the experience of the camp that gave this group of disabled teenagers the space to learn how to self-organize and to have the experience of being normal that didn't yet exist in the outside world. They were able to form deep connections with other disabled people, and that created the possibility of working together to advocate for their own needs. One of the campers named Judy Human became a kind of leader at the camp, and the film follows the arc as she becomes this extraordinary powerhouse of an activist. Together, they lobbied and they organized for disability rights, once even shutting down traffic in New York City by blocking a key intersection. As young adults, many of the campers moved to Berkeley, California to create something called the Center for Independent Living, which was the first organization of its kind in 1972. The center helped disabled people find jobs and housing, provided transportation, and created connections between disabled people so that they could help each other. At a time when many disabled people were institutionalized under horrific conditions, the Center for Independent Living was a radical reordering of the status quo. Then, in 1990, in response to the failure of lawmakers to enforce Section 504, which required accessibility in federally funded buildings, Disabled in Action staged a sit-in at the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare for nearly a month under Judy Human's leadership. And I encourage you to watch the full documentary because the footage of the sit-in is extraordinary. 
Nearly everyone participating in that sit-in had some kind of disability, many of them in wheelchairs, some fully paralyzed, and yet they spent a month locked inside San Francisco City Hall without steady access to food, places to sleep, or hot water for bathing. Those who could went on a hunger strike. And the conditions were unthinkable, especially given the realities of their disabilities. And yet they stayed. And the movement started to grow. The Black Panthers heard about the sit-in and started bringing food to feed the protesters. When asked why they were sharing their limited resources with disability advocates, the Black Panthers said that they were all working for liberation. And when the FBI cut off the phone lines to prevent protesters from sharing information with the outside world, the deaf activists inside City Hall started signing out the windows to other deaf people, rendering the phone lines unnecessary. Their deafness was not a hindrance, but an asset that served them all. After all, Disabled in Action's slogan was, a people united can never be defeated. Ultimately, a group of the protesters led by Judy Human traveled to Washington, D.C. to meet with lawmakers, culminating in the Capitol crawl. It's extraordinary watching this documentary as it follows the story of everything that had to happen to make the Capitol crawl and the ADA possible. There are moments and movements in our lives that invite us into our interconnectedness, moments that remind us that liberation is only ever shared. We have to wonder how many people and groups and acts of care it took to make the Americans with Disabilities Act a reality. It was the Black Panthers showing up with food to feed the protesters camped out in City Hall. It was the deaf activists signing out the window because they knew how to communicate without phones. It was the Vietnam veterans joining forces with disabled in action. It was the steel workers in DC who drove the activists around the city in the back of a box truck because they couldn't use public transit in their wheelchairs. It was the technicians on strike at ABC7 creating a news vacuum so the footage of the protests was put on national television. It was the journalists embedded with protesters, using their skills and their access to tell a story that was being silenced. It was the activists themselves, who had a vision for a better world, one in which disability was simply part of being human. It was their courage to insist that the world make space for them, that ultimately made space for all of us. In talking about this service, Phyllis Barrett shared that the ADA paved the way for her to become a college professor despite being deaf. She said that without the ADA, she never would have seen herself as a teacher standing up in front of a class and answering students' questions. But following the ADA, Quinsigamund Community College allowed her to put microphones on the students' desks that connected to her hearing device. The ADA also meant that she couldn't be fired from her job for being deaf. That's just one person. Think about all the ways that the ADA has transformed our world and our lives for the better. And it began because a group of disabled teenagers went to a camp where they were treated differently than they were in the outside world. A place where they all belonged fully as they were, where they got to be normal. And they took that back out into the world and worked together to force society to change. Places that act as an incubator for world building 
are powerful and precious things. Places that help us to imagine a world remade by an ethic of love. Places that are reordered in the image of justice. Because if a new world is possible inside this place, then what else is? Yes, the injustice in the world is often overwhelming. But in stories like the teens from Camp Jened who grew up to become activists who quite literally changed the world, who insisted on their own humanity, and in doing so, made space for all of us. It's stories like this that remind us that more is possible. Stories that remind us that all flourishing is mutual and liberation is only ever shared. Stories that ask us to imagine a new way and remind us that whatever we offer to the movement of change matters. It also matters that we have those places that help us imagine a new set of possibilities. It matters what we do here in this congregation. It matters because the places that create the conditions of liberation germinate collective outward change. The places that abide by a different set of rules change our understanding of what is possible. In this place, we do not serve empire. We do not barter with humanity. We do not coerce. In this house, we are planting the seeds of a new world, a world built in the image of love and in the shape of justice. A world in which we are honest about our power and our misdeeds. A world in which we are all worthy as we are, without condition. Last week, Reverend Erica preached about different ways of opening our doors to newcomers, experimenting with different ways of gathering. Because we UUs have a long history of not wanting to spread our message. I learned when researching for the February 4th service on the Black histories within Unitarian Universalism that historically our resistance to outreach had everything to do with a sense of elitism and white supremacy. It was a literal desire to keep our church white. I hope that makes us uncomfortable. I hope that makes us question why we're not inviting everyone we know to church. Because I think what we're doing here is necessary, not just for us, but for the world. We need the places that ask us to imagine a different set of possibilities and then ask us to embody that new world together. Places that remind us of our agency and our shared humanity. Because a people united can never be defeated. Amen. <laughs>